Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 803 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast, we'll be speaking with Julia. Julia is the mother of a young child with type 1 diabetes who was diagnosed just before their second birthday. And this conversation covers so much, I can't even list it here. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please take a moment to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and take the T1D Exchange survey. It's completely HIPAA compliant, absolutely anonymous. All you have to do is just join the registry, take the survey, takes less than 10 minutes. And once you've done that, you've helped people living with type 1 diabetes and moved type 1 diabetes research forward right from your sofa. That's pretty great. You can do a lot without leaving your house in less than 10 minutes at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. All right. Thank you very much for listening to that part. Now let's go to the next part. And welcome to the next part. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. And you may be eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. Find out more about it at Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at Juiceboxpodcast.com. You want to know who else the podcast is sponsored by? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's sponsored by Omnipod. And they make the Omnipod 5 which is an automated insulin delivery system, and they make the Omnipod Dash, which is an amazing tubeless wireless system, just like the Omnipod 5 is. They're both tubeless and wireless. Omnipod 5, automated, Dash, not automated. You decide which one's right for you, and you may just be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. How do you find this out? I'm glad you asked. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. You introduce yourself any way you want to be known, which just really means you, you don't need to use your last name. You, you know, um, if, sure. we, if we talk about people in your life, you, you're free to speak about them, you know, by their name uh, or not. Whatever works for you. Um, just please don't say like Uncle Billy 53 times. And then at the end say, oh, I, I probably shouldn't have mentioned Billy's name. You, you know, like, <laughs> yep, yep. then I'll just I'll bang my head against the desk while I'm editing out Uncle Billy's for you. <laughs> 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 so um, that's pretty much it. So when you're ready, go ahead. OK, uh, uh, my name is Julia. I am a uh mom of a diabetic toddler. Uh, she is three years old and was diagnosed just before the age of two. Julia, I don't want to go off track immediately, but are you giving me your gas station voice right now? We, 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 Maybe. <laughs> I, I have a pretty good receptionist voice from work. Is so, that, is that I mean, I'm not a receptionist, but you know, you kind of get that voice when you answer the phone. <laughs> is that what you call it? We call it a gas station voice here. I've said it on the podcast before because my wife is never as kind 
as she is to the person who's pumping her gas. So, oh, you know, like yeah, she, she, yep, that, the customer service voice. And yeah, that window, <laughs> that window goes down and my wife's like, oh, hello. Like, who are you? Where's this wonderful person coming from? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get better when I'm not like presenting my name because that gets a whole presentation vibe and that's a whole different voice. <laughs> no, it was this is all staying in the podcast. So, you know, I just um, we, we spoke for a couple of minutes before we started. And I thought that's not what her voice sounds like. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so you're the, why don't I pay attention to my job here? Uh, you're the mom of a child with type 1. Did you say a toddler? Yeah. Yep, she's three. Three. How how old was she when she was diagnosed? Uh, it was 10 days before she turned two. Okay. Beat me by a couple of weeks there. Yeah. Um, that actually uh, was one of the things that was a big draw for me with the podcast is, like when you have a two-year-old who's diagnosed, it's like, well, what the heck is their life going to be like? And that was a huge comfort, like just knowing like, hey, your kid's a teenager and she's doing great. And, oh, well, I'm glad. you know, that was like really the first big thing that struck me about the podcast. I would tell her uh, so that she knew, but then she'd look at me and go, uh, <laughs> 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 or, or those are your people not mine or something. I don't know what she would say. She's just actually, she's morphing as she gets older where she's like, that's nice. She said to me the other day, I, I gave her a message from somebody and she said, that's nice. Thank you. And then she walked away. I was like, Oh, okay. Oh, she's becoming pleasant. Is someone softening what's happening. Um, so, okay. So two years old, your daughter, any other kids? No, she's my first. Okay. Any since her? No. Gotcha. We haven't got the courage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 hundred percent know what you mean by that. How about um, autoimmune or diabetes, anything like that in your family line, husband side, or if you're married, um, your side. So yes and no. Um, so we have diabetes in our family on my side, mostly type two, but I have a grandpa and an uncle who are both on insulin as type twos. Mm -hmm. And you know how that goes. Like it, they could have just never been tested for type one. You know, they're on insulin. I don't know. Well, yeah, they um, could be insulin dependent type twos as well, but were they for a long, long time using insulin? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I think they've been it, on it for a long time. And like my one uncle, he's pretty thin. He doesn't fit the type two characteristics. You know what I mean? So just the idea that, you know, he's type one, or type two on insulin, you know, it's just kind of a little fishy, but you know, we're not that close that I've ever really dug into it. Like, hmm, are you sure you're type two? <laughs> now that you're speaking more, you live near a large lake in the North part of the country. Is that correct? The Midwest. Yeah. 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 Um, how could a person live their whole life thinking they had type two diabetes and only have, and have type one and no one say anything? I, you know, I don't know, but you know, you hear more now that I'm more involved in the diabetes community, you mm -hmm. hear more and more of that, how it kind of goes on for a while. And they're like, well, we'll start you on insulin because, you know, does he do it's well? not working out. Does he do well or does he struggle? Uh, a lot of lows. A lot of lows. Dangerous lows. Huh. Well, I'll tell you what, I might bet that he's type two, just based on what you said. I don't uh, know. I don't know why. Just. I get a vibe. That's all. Gotcha. That's, that's what the podcast is down to now, Julia. I just, I'm just, just going to sit here and when people speak and they stop, I'm going to go, mm, I get a vibe that that's right. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't but know yeah, how long I'll, that'll be interesting, but that's interesting. 
Yeah. And then other than that, I mean, my husband's sister has what I'm told is autoimmune asthma, but I don't know how they know if it's regular asthma or autoimmune asthma, if that was ever tested. And then my mom has a little bit of autoimmune stuff too. So there's autoimmune in the family. And then I had gestational diabetes, which I hear there might be a link to that too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, I mean, there's little bit of links there. Like I'm semi-familiar with diabetes, but not really type one. And yeah. Okay. Well, interesting. Thank you for setting the table for us uh, and letting us know what's going on. So when your daughter is diagnosed at two, um, it's only a year or so ago. Is that right? Yeah. Almost a year and a half. Year and a half. Do they start you off with... I mean, now that you hear other people's stories, what did you have one of the good experiences where they're like, hey, here's a CGM and pens or a pump? Or were they like, take these needles and go suffer until six months has passed by? What did they, what did they so, do for you? I mean, it was kind of, um, kind of a typical experience in terms of what you would expect. We got syringes. I don't know why, but I have no idea how to use a pen. So we started out with syringes and stuck with them, which worked out because she ended up going to diluted insulin where we would have had to do syringes anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And they didn't start her with the Dexcom at the hospital because she wasn't quite two yet. And they said the approval process with insurance will go faster if we just run the paperwork when she turns two. So we were without a Dexcom for a couple of weeks, but that wasn't, you know, a huge deal because her honeymoon hadn't started yet and we didn't know what she was doing. We were doing so she was high all the time anyway, you know, uh, but it was a lot of that don't die advice. Like we didn't get the good advice right off the bat. So, you know, Julia, what did you mean? 15 carb uncovered snacks type of stuff. Yeah. But, so real quick, though, what did you mean the honeymoon hadn't started? Did, did she have a honeymoon? Oh, yeah. So that's actually why I reached out. I kind of wanted to talk more about that because she has had one heck of a honeymoon. Um, She went off of insulin for a while. Um, She went back on it and it's been kind of spotty since then. And we've just had a lot of honeymoon type experiences. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. No. Yeah. yeah. And especially since she's so small, like her insulin needs are low anyway. Mm -hmm. Like she's just kind of a really interesting case to talk about. So at two years old. How much insulin was she getting a day? Uh, she was getting about a unit right after diagnosis. Okay. And and would you give it to her as basal and nothing else? Or were you giving meal insulin? So we started out with, you know, a couple of units of Lantus and very quickly started to take that down. And she went to a half unit for a while and she was getting meal insulin, but it was really tricky because you know, her carb ratio towards the beginning, you know, kind of landed at like one to 30. And so if she didn't eat enough, we couldn't give her insulin and they had us dosing afterwards. And it was just, it was a mess. Mm. So it was one of those like, okay, kid, like at one point, like they said, oh, she has to eat this much, uh, this many carbs to get any insulin. So I made her like a giant bowl of mashed potatoes and she didn't finish it. You know what I mean? Like, because okay, no you have one... to finish this so I can give you some insulin. Julie, because no one wants a giant bowl of mashed potatoes. Is that why? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I like sprinkled ground beef on top and put some tiny little shreds of broccoli on there so it seemed balanced. <laughs> but I'm like, you're pretty much going to have to eat a bunch of mashed potatoes for this to get 
Done. Julia, you yeah. are from the Midwest. You're like, here, take potatoes. <laughs> we'll put some beef on the top of it. And uh, let's kill something in the backyard. We'll throw that on there, too. And you're going to love this. It's uh, well, I, I, Listen, first of all, that sucks. Because, you know, because I'm, I'm assuming what happened was somebody said to you that this many carbs is the least amount that you need to cover this amount of insulin, which is probably the smallest amount of insulin you can give her. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And if you tried to cheat, would she get low? Um. Yeah. So as her honeymoon started, it was kind of nuts because, you know, we were, you know, dramatically reducing our doses and whatnot. And she was just... We had her on like a half unit of Lantus. And there was one day uh, I sent her to school. Like I was going to, you know, try and get her to get this big breakfast down. And I thought, oh, she didn't finish it. So I can't give her the insulin. And so I sent her to school, uh, daycare. It's a nursery school, actually. Sure. But um, I, like, I, did, I, I couldn't I, give Julia, her the insulin for breakfast. <laughs> Julia, and, well, I didn't think she was like a prodigy. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think she was well, on her way to 10th grade or something like that. She, she might be, but that's, oh, well, that's a, whole, a whole different thing. <laughs> but uh, so I sent her to daycare and like, all right, well, she's going to be high. Like, I don't know what to do. And so she, but she spiked to 180 and she just like, she felt, did a fall rate alert down and she was just like crashing. And I'm like, okay, well, if she didn't have insulin for this amount of food, and she just has her basil on board that was like finally enough to explain to her like endo team hey this insulin is way too much for this child like because i had talked to them before about you know i think her lantus is too much for them like what and they're like no 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 you can't take her off the lantus she'll go into dka like um, like i think this kid's making her own insulin here so yeah and like that was finally enough for them to say oh yeah, we have to take her off of insulin because if that was just with the Lantists, yeah. So she went off of insulin for like two months after that, and it was amazing. And I feel like we should have took more advantage of it, but <laughs> more advantage of it by like going out to dinner and things like that. Yeah, that kind of stuff, and you know, actually maybe getting a babysitter, you know, because you don't have to worry so much. Actually, it's like I should have gone out, Scott. That's what I'm saying. I should have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I should have exactly. But like, I had a newly diagnosed diabetic child. Like, I wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's very interesting, and uh, that's a lot of insight too. Just I should have just taken some free time when it was there. Um, so yeah. two two full months without insulin at all. Yeah. And was she wearing the CGM still? Yep. Okay. And what did you see? So it was kind of fascinating. So she would, you know, spike up at meals. She would get, you know, maybe 180 at the high end. And we weren't eating very high carb, but we're not a high carb family anyway. My husband does keto, you know, since I had gestational diabetes, I don't eat a ton of carbs anyway. So, you know, she was eating pretty balanced meals, um, but she wouldn't get that high. And then actually the interesting thing is before meals, if she was starting to get hangry, her blood sugar would crash to like 55 when I was getting food ready. Hmm. Yeah. So it was no taking no nuts. taking no man made insulin, but wearing a CGM, so you mm-hmm. could see her blood sugar getting low as the meal approached. So she knew dinner was being made. Yeah, it's something. I mean, I don't know, but she was hangry about it. Jen- like she was like, "Give me my damn food." You know, Jenny told me one time that the body in a in a person who doesn't have diabetes, as it is. It, as it anticipates, God, I hope I'm remembering this right, that you're going to eat, 
that it starts to lower your blood sugar a little bit. Huh. Like you wouldn't think it would lower it to 55, but yeah. Definitely wouldn't think that. But I also know people who get low blood sugars and, you know, I mean, that's some sort of dysregulation of their insulin. You know, people people who don't have diabetes, I mean, who get, um, let's just say unpleasant when they're hungry, you know, like, how's that? Is that a nice way of saying it? Um, (laughs) Right. I mean, people get nasty. Like, I'll tell you that for years, it's a standing rule in this house. My son does not like to have food in his stomach when he's playing baseball. So when the baseball game ends, you don't really talk to Cole until Cole eats. Like oh, he, yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's singularly focused, sort of like a lion. You, you know what I mean? Like I, he needs to eat when he's done. Um, sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So huh. um, scary, comforting, sad. What's it feel like when someone tells you that your kid needs insulin, she has type one diabetes, and then all of a sudden it goes away for an extended amount of time. Did, did every day just feel like this is probably the last day or were you happy about it? I'm trying to. Um, so I was really relieved that she was going off of insulin, but honestly, it took her endo some talking me into it because her nurses had me so scared about going off of the Lancis, you DKA, know? DKA, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's a valid point. Except if you realize like that I'm giving my kid two juice boxes overnight to keep her numbers, you know, between 80 and 110. You know, and yeah. I'm basically spending my entire night juicing my kid. Like, there's something wrong here. Like, she doesn't need that. So once, I mean, the doctor and I really talked about it, I felt okay. And then it was a huge relief because, like, even at daycare, when she would, like, have breakfast and, you know, she would be dosed right after breakfast there and she would go outside and play, like, she would just be fall rate alert the entire time. And she dropped by, like, 40 in one reading. And it was terrifying yeah so i mean it was it was a massive relief to be going off of insulin yeah or at least for things to regulate a little bit right like just to like i mean now that she's back she's back on insulin now is that right the omnipod 5 automated insulin delivery system is here it is the only tubeless automated insulin delivery system that integrates with the dexcom g6 and it uses Smart Adjust technology to automatically adjust your insulin delivery every five minutes to help protect you from highs and lows. And of course, as a bonus, no multiple daily injections with Omnipod. Omnipod is this little device. It's so, I mean, it's small. And you fill it with insulin and put it on, and then tubelessly and wirelessly, it delivers insulin to you. Now, if you have the Omnipod 5, this automation is amazing. Using your Dexcom G6 data, the Omnipod 5, it says to itself, I don't know exactly how it says it, this is not technical. I mean, not that I think you believe that the pump is just saying, like talking like a person, but all right, anyway, what I'm getting at is it sees your blood sugar going up, it tries to stop it. It sees your blood sugar going down, it tries to stop it. It's trying to keep you in a range. That's amazing and something you should be looking into. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Here's the really cool thing about Omnipod 5. It's not a durable medical device. And so that means the Omnipod 5 is available through your pharmacy, which moreover means that you can start with it right away. No four-year durable medical equipment contract like with some of those other insulin pumps. 
And this is even if you're currently in warranty on a different system. You just should give it a try. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now for full safety risk information and free trial terms and conditions, you can also go to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. But Scott, you say you didn't mention a free trial. Well, that's because I was talking about the Omnipod 5. But now that I'm going to come over here and talk about Omnipod Dash, did you know you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash? That's the truth. You should head over and check it out at the website, omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. So whether you want the Omnipod 5 and that automation, or you're just looking for tubeless and wireless with the Omnipod Dash, Omnipod has something for you. Before we get back to the program, program is what my grandmother would have said when she was watching television. She'd say, I'm watching my programs. So anyway, next time you make fun of how I talk, just remember, I'm a product of my upbringing. But before we get back to the podcast, let me tell you about the Dexcom G6. Now, I'm going to go right to the website, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, here's what you're going to see. There's a little bit of text at the top. It says, make knowledge your superpower with the Dexcom G6 CGM. That's how you'll know you're in the right place. Now, if you know you want the Dexcom right now, you don't want to mess around on the site click on the Get Started with Dexcom G6 button right away. It's green. You'll be able to see it. Don't you worry. If you want to know more, then maybe you, you bounce around the site a little bit. Find out about how you can get readings right on your smart device, like an iPhone or Android. How you can customize your alerts and alarms. Read more about zero finger sticks. Or just listen to this and then go get a Dexcom. Right now, Arden is home from college. She has a sinus infection. It is vicious. She needs a lot more insulin than she's needed in the past. And we've been comfortable giving it to her because we can see her blood sugar in real time. This has been going on for days. But guess what just happened about an hour ago? Arden's fever broke and her blood sugar started to fall. So we were able to jump into action, remove all that extra insulin, stop the fall with a little bit of juice, and level her blood sugar out. I'm looking at it right now. That's 76. You go ahead and try to do that without a Dexcom. It ain't easy. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. You may be eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. Do yourself a favor and go find out at my link. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She but was only off for a couple months. And it didn't take long after she was um, off of... Uh, fast acting to go or after she needed her fast acting again for her to need Lantus again too. Mm -hmm. So she kind of pretty quickly over the course of a couple of weeks went fully back on insulin. It, how, how much did she weigh when you were found yourself up at night feeding basil? Uh, she was about 30 pounds. 30. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's not nearly as small. I mean, that's don't get me wrong. That's very small. But it's not as small as I was imagining. So no, 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 no. Yeah. Midwest babies are bigger babies. Well, you <laughs> when you're sprinkling ground beef on top of your roots, you, you have to you have to expect a little <laughs> a little more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Midwest babies are big babies. Are they all? They are. Do you ever see a baby well, that's a little smaller and think, oh, there's something wrong with it? They don't give it ground beef. <laughs> so I guess so. This was something my OB told me is that you know, the national average baby is like something like 6.5 to 7.5 pounds or something. But mm -hmm. the average baby in our area is more like eight plus pounds. Do you think that's because of the um, deep fried Oreo cookies at the fair? Or I mean, maybe we do eat a lot of cheese curds. 
Have I ever? Do you listen to this podcast with any frequency? Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm wondering if I've ever told anybody about the time my sister-in-law came from Wisconsin at the holidays and brought what she called caramel corn. Except I do think I told this. Except it wasn't popcorn covered in caramel. It was like those. I don't even know how to explain them. You Is know, it popcorn? Yeah, yeah, like the. <laughs> and it was just. It was this. I, I don't even know how to put it. Like in your in your potato chip aisle, there are these things that they call like popcorn, but they're they're really more like styrofoam peanuts. If I'm being honest, right? Like in, yep. in, in consistency. And she had somehow soaked those in a sugar substance and then put caramel over top of them. And when one went into your mouth, your teeth hurt. And, <laughs> and my brain felt like it was going to explode. And she's like, oh, I make this with my mom at the holidays. Like, it was a tradition for her. And I and I pulled my brother aside. And I was like, yo, man, she's trying to kill you. My grandma makes those, too. They're they're good. But, yeah, that's a lot of sugar. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's food, Brian. Don't eat that. And so, um, anyway, uh, yeah, that was something I'd never seen in my entire life. You know, so, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Even just your description of popcorn is kind of uh, just... Like packing peanuts. Yeah, packing peanuts. That's what they seem like to me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's accurate. <laughs> okay. So I'm saying you shouldn't be able to describe food as packing peanuts. <laughs> yeah, oh that's God. valid. Also, in a world of Amazon, do people even know what packing peanuts are anymore? You know what I mean? Now everybody just gets a little like air pocket or something in their bag. I don't know. Now that's we're, true. It's it's been a while. Yeah, Julia. Now we're getting into shipping, and I think we that that's too far off the topic. So um well, did you, when did you have to start diluting insulin? So we had started that right before she went off of insulin because uh, they tried that first. And apparently, like we go to a good size uh, clinic, but she's like one of two patients that they've had that had diluted insulin. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but yeah, she started that right before and that was U10 and we just, they did it straight at the pharmacy. So they did a mail order pharmacy thing for mm -hmm. us and mm -hmm. just shipped it to us. So we didn't actually dilute it ourselves, okay. which I hear some people do. Yeah. I like Dr. Frankenstein. They're just working at their kitchen table, but you got it. Okay. So how does that, how does that work? So yeah, so, I am so, I am so scared to talk about this. Because every time I see diluted insulin spoken about, people either there are two forms of understanding about it, how it works, and nobody's ever certain. So do you know what I mean by that? Like one unit equals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So U10 is 10% uh, the strength of U100. So it's like 10 parts insulin is what the like compound is. It's, you know. 10 parts insulin, 90 parts, the compounding, whatever it is. That liquid. Um, so, so basically you're diluting the insulin so that it's measurable because yes. it's, it, because it's difficult to measure insulin, right? So when a tiny, tiny amount, so you can draw a unit and you were really getting a 10th of a unit of, yes. of strength, but a unit worth of liquid. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that's really nice because, you know, if you don't have a pump, you can do, you know, half units so you can get a 0.05 increment. Mm -hmm. So like if we were bumping and nudging her, we'd do a lot of 0.05 units for her. So, so if you needed, if you need, huh, ready, here we go. If you needed 
0.05 for her. How -hmm. much actual diluted insulin? Like how much? A half unit. A half a unit of liquid was actually 0.05 of insulin. Okay, so a full unit is, of course, 1 to 10, so you get 0.1. So if if you needed a real unit of insulin and you were using diluted, you actually had to use 10 units of liquid? Yes. Okay. Did that that I'm assuming never happened with her at that size, right? Uh so there was a point when she needed about like if she was sick or something, I would give her 8 units, so it would be like 0.8. And re, uh diluted insulin has to be refrigerated. Mm-hmm. So we're injecting 8 units of cold insulin, so that would really hurt. So that was really unfortunate. And that was actually the reason why, like, as her insulin needs went up, we started to push to get a pump because like we needed to do something different because, you know, she doesn't mind the pokes, but poking with larger amounts of cold insulin, that hurts. Yeah. The big boluses and that it's cold on top of that. Um, Yeah. So this is the moment where if you're listening and you don't understand, you should say to yourself, my fifth grade teacher let me down uh, because I see these, I see these conversations. They happen about twice a year in the Facebook group where someone wants to talk about diluted insulin and Mm. people get so confused. I mean, and the conversations happen exactly the same way. I've watched them a half a dozen times in my life. It starts with someone saying, oh, you know, we're using, we were using U100, which is basically like your standard strength insulin, right? Like one one to one. But now we're using diluted. So when my kid needs a half a unit, I actually inject this much. And unit and unit, it just fries people's minds. And then mm. when they try to explain it, it it goes off the rails. Just it, it's masterful how bad it gets. The 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 conversations just devolve. And then somebody thinks you're gonna hurt somebody, and then the panic sets in. It, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Every yeah. time, every time, Julia. <laughs> you know, and it's always kind of a confusing thing when we update her charts at her endo appointments because they always log it in U100. So I'm sitting here like, okay, how do you want me to tell you this? And it's like, okay, she's having a one to five ratio. So it's one to 50 on your charts, you know? Um, and it just makes for a c- confusing conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's the interesting thing is that you don't think of, most people don't think of insulin as being in volume, measured in volume, although a unit is a volume of measurement, right? Volume is how we measure liquids. Um, we think of a unit as power for some reason because we, you know. Oh, sure. Right? One unit per 10 carbs, that it's power. It's, you know, I, I ate 10 carbs. I need a unit of power from this insulin. And so when you start talking about it in volume, but in the same breath, thinking about it also in power, which is, you know, if you're using, what would you say, U10? Yeah. So you're getting 0.1 per unit. So for volume, you're getting a unit of liquid, but for power, you're getting 0.1 or a tenth of that. And that is just when it goes off the rails in conversation for some people. Well, and the other thing is, is uh, they tell you with diluted insulin to roll the vial a few times before each time to make sure that it's properly mixed. Mm -hmm. So you don't know 100% that you're getting that perfect dilution either with each draw. Still a little bit of a crapshoot. A little bit, but you know, we never really saw issues from the inconsistency. So I don't know if the rolling it was just like an old school precaution 
you know, I, I don't know if it actually becomes like a homogenous mixture or not. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. It's, it's weird. <laughs> How long did you do it for? Uh, well, she still actually gets the diluted insulin, um, like as a backup for her pods, because okay. we can't give her that big of doses generally anyway, still. Um, but we did diluted insulin for a year. So well, almost a year. So let's talk about that for a second. At her at her current age, what does she weigh now? Uh, she's nearing 40 pounds. She's okay. maybe 39, 40-ish. So do you think she's still honeymooning to some degree? Uh, you know, I'm kind of back and forth on that. It's hard to say because um, her basal rates some days goes down to 0.05 an hour. But when she first started on her pump, she was at 0.05 every other hour. Hmm. What pump are you using? Omnipod. Are you going to try Omnipod 5? Yes, uh, but I'm a little hesitant if she's ready for it yet because her basal needs are so low that I worry about those algorithm pumps, you know, being able to give more but not being able to take enough away. Well, it could, it could. Ooh, all right. So I don't know for sure. I mean, loop can take you down to zero. So I would imagine. And I think Omnipod 5 probably can because Dash could. I would think so. Yeah, I don't think that would be your concern. I mean, as a matter of fact, I I can't say for 100% certainty, but as I sit here and apply my common sense to it, there's no way that any of these algorithms can't completely shut off insulin. They have to be able to do that. Well, right. They can. Yeah. But okay, if you're getting 0.05 an hour... Like sometimes it might be 55 minutes before you're taking away that 0.05. I see what you're saying. But will because it's once an hour. But wouldn't the algorithm be able to see that far into the future to know that? I think it would be able to. Interesting. Uh, I think it depends on how fast of a drop. But I mean, at a certain point, you're doing juice anyway. I don't know. Does she still fall very quickly? Uh, She's getting to be much more stable. I mean, she's still not super stable. Like she's usually kind of drifting down most of the time, mm-hmm. but it's not like rapid, crazy drops usually, unless I was getting a little uh, heavy handed. Right. You know, the entire time you're talking, I feel like we're in the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles and we're at the bus station and I'm meeting John Candy for the first time. Is it my accent? Yes, your accent is terrific. <laughs> a lot of people say I sound Canadian. If I ever go to the East Coast, everyone, you know, accuses me of that, which is funny because I've had people around here ask if I was from the East Coast, but my dad was in the military. So when I was learning to talk, I lived in Virginia. So mm-hmm. every once in a blue moon, you'll catch a little bit of twang or something going on. Yeah. But <laughs> well, let me say this. Kind of- it's blended. And Julia, anyone who would say Canada is not a connoisseur of people's accents there's no sure i don't get canada i get chicago more towards wisconsin is what i get uh you are right in there mm-hmm. okay uh-huh <laughs> i love this podcast i get to do so much, <laughs> i get to do so many fun things that i don't think anyone else thinks is fun but me but uh i i love listening i can hear i don't know i just feel like we're in the bus station i'm uh i'm the mom from home alone and uh or something i don't know what's going on exactly i have a lot of pictures in my head right now yeah, but I'm having a good time. So um, can I ask when insulin needs are this specific and dangerous? I mean, honestly, if you use too much. Right. Yeah. Are, are, is it just you who takes care of it? Or I mean, you haven't said you're married, though, right? I am. Yeah. So my husband, he 
does like short spurts of taking care of her. Like if I need to run to the store or something, like he can keep her stable and safe. But in terms of like giving her insulin, he usually like checks with me first. Okay. Um, and, you know, checks like carbs and whatever else. Um, but like at daycare, it's kind of a weird situation. So when we started back to daycare, cause she had already been going there. Um, she, they were going to be trained on doing the insulin injections, but then they discovered how sensitive she was and they thought, Oh, this is a giant liability for us. And like, nobody was comfortable with giving her insulin, which, Mm -hmm. you know, in hindsight, I completely understand. But at that point I'm like, okay, you know, ADA guys, you know, (laughs) like you have to accommodate my baby. Um, but, and you know, like the, the owners, the husband is diabetic too. He's type one. So like they have all the compassion in the world for type ones, but you know, that whole idea of, Ooh, we might kill this kid, you know, uh, was pretty real. So, um, I started doing it myself. Like, so she would have uncovered snacks morning and afternoon and I would dose her on lunch. Um, but it was a lot easier because we live like four blocks away from the daycare and um I was working from home because of COVID Mm -hmm. so it was really convenient like I could be there really fast so I mean I handle pretty much all of her insulin needs for the most part but then other people are trained on like the safety aspects of okay if she needs a finger prick but uh daycares thing is they also get really busy like you know it's two teachers 12 kids and there's a lot going on so most of the time if she's starting to go low you know they kind of bump and nudge her a little bit like mm-hmm. they'll give her you know like one tiny little cookie like an animal cracker size thing um to keep her from going low but if she's looking like she's actually gonna go low i go over there okay how old are you julia uh i am 34 okay because it, it it's your story, I mean, you could be anywhere from, you know what I mean, your early 20s, like your first kid, to, you know, to older. But your voice, because of the Midwest thing, like if you told me you were 53, I'd be like, okay, I believe you. So I, I, knew, no. I knew you weren't, so I couldn't, I couldn't nail it down. So I'm like, uh, I'm like I got to ask. So okay. You're going to make me a little self-conscious here. No, uh, we, we kind of got started late with having kids because uh, we had some fertility issues and okay. then... Yeah. So it took us a while to have her. And then, you know, she ended up having a lot of issues. And, right. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I completely understand. It's not. And by the way, I don't mean like you sound like my grandmother. I'm not, I'm not saying, <laughs> well, that's a relief. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that, like, there's something about this specific accent. It, it stops you from dating somebody as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Sure. How, to, how am I going to put this? Like, there are blonde girls in New Jersey who are 27. And I can tell they're 27 when they speak three words. But you're like, you have like a more mature Uh, cadence is that what i mean i think so well yeah so there's that i mean i'm an older mom i'm also an architect and you know so there's a lot of you know professional stuff going on and yeah just like speaking a more measured life experience yeah you guys you guys one day i'm gonna i'll record one of my like like a business meeting i have with an advertiser or something like that And, and and you'll be stunned that i'm not any different in like my professional life than I am when I'm making this podcast. As a matter of fact, when, when companies uh, reach out, one of the first things I say to them, like us med is a, a sponsor now. And uh, I'm on a phone call uh, early on when they're interested in being advertisers. And I said, look, just, you need to know right now, this is me. 
I have no ability not to be the person you're talking to right now. So if you need somebody to like shine this up for a meeting or I'm like, uh, just, we should probably skip it because I can't, I can't do that. I was like, I, I am only this person. So, um, I have no like uh professional veil that I can throw over myself. My wife is always like telling me, like, you would get fired at my job in like three minutes. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. They would love me. And she's like, you, would <laughs> she's like, you would get fired. You know, I wonder if how much of that is the nature of your job not being in like a corporate environment too. I, I, also, I just don't care. But um, I think that's part of it. Like here, an interesting story would be by the time this comes out, it's yeah. Okay. So Julia, if you just don't say this out loud, we'll be okay. Um, is going to be a sponsor of the podcast pretty soon, a couple weeks. Nice. And um, I had to get on, it's like owns and um they're they're a very like it's a very professional company you know what i mean like they're just it's a it's a professional setup when you're when you're dealing with people and i had to get onto a call with like four or five people and um i was getting a little pep talk from a friend of mine who used to work at but doesn't work there anymore and i was i was just chatting back and forth with her and i was like i you know i've got this meeting coming up it seems like a real adult meeting and she goes don't curse (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like I'm like, I won't. She goes, no, Scott, you will. And, and I was like, what? She goes, you curse in every meeting I've ever been in with you. And she's like, it's delightful and nobody cares. She's like, but they're new and this isn't the setting. And I was like, okay. So like an hour later, I get a text from my friend. She goes, how did it go? I said, oh, it went great. They're going to buy ads. I only said Fuck twice. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's like, how did that happen? I was like, I don't know. It just... The word really fit in the situation. <laughs> you're just you're you're building rapport, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I do it right on the razor's edge. Like even my wife's like, could you start with like shit or something first? I'm like, no. I was like, it's not important. Um, oh, anyway, funny. anyway, it's uh, it goes back to um, I think when I was like 20 years old, I was sitting in a diner with my friends, like at two o'clock in the morning, we're having one of those like, you know, conversations we thought were existential for our like 20s. And um, I just came off and said, like, I think you can say anything to anyone if you say it correctly. And they were like, no, that's not right. And one kid, like, put $20 on the table and then said the most, like, abhorrent word he could think of. And he said, work that word into a conversation with the waitress without her getting upset, and I'll give you $20. And it didn't go well, Julia. I'm not going to lie <laughs> Went really poorly. I did not think it through as nearly. I thought my uh, delightfulness would buoy the situation, but it wasn't quite enough. And as he mm. pulled the 20 back, I said, give me two more chances. <laughs> I was like, oh give, me, give me a best out of three. And I did work it out eventually. We actually, <laughs> on the third try at a different restaurant, you know, at a different time, I found a way to slip a word in that just shouldn't be in polite conversation. And... um and the person rolled with it. And it wasn't just because I know people are like, well, they're waitresses. They smile at everything. They don't want you to be upset. They're trying to get tips. Trust me. Right. It worked. And um, and since then, I like to say that uh, I could tell you that your dog died and that I killed it. And when it was over, you would thank me. Like that is oh. like I'm good at that. Like that. Like and it's not a thing you do. It's just a it's a way of being, I guess. So anyway, yeah, I said in that meeting with the people of, <laughs> from which I'm sure they're not thrilled that I'm saying right now. But anyway, um, that's funny. Yeah, we're gonna sell. So it'll be fine. 
Nice. Those did seem really nice. I was kind of bummed I wasn't offered one. Like, you guys are giving me syringes. But then when we got to the diluted, it's like, yeah, okay, it's a good thing I know how to use syringes. Do you know I've never used an insulin pen in my life? Really? Never. Not once. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Arden went from syringes right to an Omnipod. Wow. Yeah, I used syringes for two years old, three years old. Part of the time she was four years old, we got her onto an Omnipod before kindergarten started because I didn't want her to get, because back then, here was my thought process. I didn't want somebody I didn't know sticking her with a needle. Oh, yeah. It was the entire reason I got a pump. That was it. Um, gotcha. So, was Arden good with the pokes? Oh, you know what? Um, I never thought she loved them. Like, don't get me wrong. When she was real little, two years, she, she'd run. Like sure. she, she'd see that she'd see the the needle, she'd get a big smile on her face and turn around and run away. It wasn't much of a chase as she was two years old and her legs were very short, but she still <laughs> she still put an honest effort into it to get out to get away. Um sure. I've I've had to I've had to like hold her once or twice to give her one, but for the most part, she was okay with it. Um the thing that I remember I guess most strongly from that time is that I was always so worried that this would just be some terrible thing that was happening to her that she'd never forget. And it would just scar her. And, oh, um, sure. and I know I've told this before. So just in a couple of sentences, um, after Arden switched to Omnipod, we just didn't have any problems with Omnipod, like for the longest, longest time. And years later, I had to give her like a clearing shot of insulin. Like I needed to give her an injection and um, I pulled it out and like was filling it up. And she goes, what is that? And I said, it's a needle? And she goes, for what? And I said, I was like, I got to give you some insulin with it. She goes, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. And then, <laughs> you know, and then, um, and then literally as we're talking about it, I come to realize I probably stuck Arden 10,000 times as an, as an infant, like, you know, as a toddler. And uh, just a couple of years after she stopped getting injections, she had no recollection of needles whatsoever. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It blew my my mind, like really genuinely did. What really gets to me is Cora, she would, like, she got pretty desensitized to the needles pretty fast. And like on bad days, you know, I might give her 10 little minor adjustments throughout the course of the day. So, you know, that's 10 different pokes. And, you know, at a certain point, she got to the point where I'm like, it was time to eat. And she would say, mama, you didn't give me my insulin. Like, dude, I gave it to you like five minutes ago. Like, that's how little she was starting to care about them. It was kind of crazy. Didn't even remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just a couple minutes like, later. Yeah. And I mean, now, now that she's been on the pod for a couple months, she's, if I try and give her an injection, she kind of gets mad. Like, I don't want to poke. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, I give it to her and she doesn't make a fuss about it. Like, it doesn't really hurt her, but it just, you know. Yeah. Kelly has a t-shirt that says that. What? I don't want to poke. Okay. That was the most Midwestern pregnant pause ever. She's like, I don't understand. Where's the sexual innuendo going? It doesn't. You, I, yeah, you, you I, are so lovely. Thank you for coming. I, I wasn't. I wasn't totally confident if that was an innuendo or not. I was like, huh, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Why would her? Uh, wait, the wife doesn't have diabetes. I don't understand. Um, 
No. She actually has a sign. It's on the side of the bed. It's uh. <laughs> oh yeah, that that seems more appropriate. From what I've heard about your wife, she doesn't seem like the someone to wear uh, innuendo t-shirts. <laughs> she's not a she's not a t-shirt slogan kind of person. No, um, no I love so that. Much. That's where your brain jumped to. That's great. She wouldn't wear. <laughs> she wouldn't wear a shirt like that. Um, hold on a second. While Arden, can I just text Arden yeah. very quickly? Um, I'm recording. Can we talk about this? In 30 minutes. Here's the here's the text. So Arden is eliminating gluten for a month. Oh. She's almost done. The honest truth is, I don't know if it's helping her or not. We're having trouble telling. Um, so I guess maybe if you're having trouble telling, maybe it's not helping. I'm not sure. But I get this text. Right. I want five guys. Next text. Oh, wait. I can't. I said, no, you can. Just no roll. She goes, if there's no roll, then I can't. <laughs> also, mm-hmm. I can't have a milkshake because she gets cookies in the milkshake. Uh, Five Guys has a gluten-free bun, I'm told. Hold on. Person I'm recording with says Five Guys has gluten-free buns. All right. Soon. I mean, I'm not 100% confident in that, but I'm like 90%. We'll find out. Also, this is what this text is really an indication of, and any of you ladies of a certain age will know, is that today is the first day of Arden's period. Ah, <laughs> and she's, sitting, yes. she's sitting in school going, I, I would like to get French fries. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, she's planning her food in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly what's going on. Text it uh, back. So, that is actually a good segue for the like last thing I need to talk about. So we kind of talked about like the first half of our honeymoon and the second half got just kind of weird. Uh, she was diagnosed with celiac in November and the reactions with that in her honeymoon were nuts. Tell me about it. Cause I didn't know this. Was this not in your notes? It was not because I sent that out and then like, I don't know. Two weeks later, we ended up with the celiac stuff. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. Do tell how long. <laughs> how, I, again, oddest podcast ever. You're like, oh, my kid has celiac. And I'm like, oh, intrigue. <laughs> tell me more. Uh, well, but- I was wondering how we were going to segue that because I didn't want to miss out. Um, so she, you know, after diagnosis, you know, she, we were eating lower carb stuff. So a lot more berries in their diet and whatnot. And she had just had the celiac screening at diagnosis. So like looser stools, I wasn't really worried about. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, it's a little bit looser, but it's not like crazy. Um, And it just like never like re-solidified totally, Mm -hmm. which I know kind of gross to talk about, but. No, what are you talking about, Julia? That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I have a toddler. Poop is a big part of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, so it got worse like this fall. And then I was starting to worry about celiacs because I know that was kind of a big relationship with type one. But then she was having this thing where at night before bed, like she would always ask for snacks and I would give her a small snack thinking, okay, like this is about how much I can get away without, without completely screwing up your blood sugar for the night. And she was just whining about being hungry. And so one night I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to feed you literally everything you want here. So basically fed her the kitchen and she's still saying, I'm hungry. And I'm like, 
you can't possibly be hungry. Mm -hmm. Uh, It turns out she was getting tummy aches and she was mistaking them for hunger. Oh, Um, you're like, here, this will fix it. More food. Yeah. yeah, So she's, you know, pouring food on her tummy, hoping that'll help. And obviously it didn't. And like her, she was having pretty bad GI upsets were starting too. And, you know, after I realized that she was having stomach, tummy aches, it's like, okay, so we got her in for the blood work. It was elevated, but not elevated enough that they were confident just calling her celiacs without the scope. So she got a scope. There was evidence of the celiacs in the scope, like visually, like they could see the villi were worn down. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, you know, it came back positive. So she got the celiac diagnosis and it came to realize that part of the issues that she was having, she was, she would eat, she would spike high and then she would crash back down. And I'm like, okay, is this a basal issue? Is her basal still way too much for her? But she's on like a half, you know, Lantus at the time. So I'm like, well, I can't really do anything about that. So basically I was giving her just enough insulin to keep her under 200. And then I was catching the drop because like, what else do I do? Like, okay. do I let her go to 300 so that she'll level out at a hundred later? You know, like right. that doesn't make sense to me. So obviously not medical advice here. And I wouldn't advise people do that or take that approach, but it turns out basically what was happening with the celiacs is her intestines weren't absorbing her food. So as soon as her food would start leaving her stomach and going into her small intestine, like absorption would totally stop. Mm -hmm. And so she'd go from having, you know, all sorts of carb input and whatnot, and then her food just wouldn't absorb anymore. So she would completely crash. So after the celiac diagnosis, we took out gluten from her diet, obviously. And like her, insulin needs started dropping like considerably. Hmm. And so to the point where for a few, like few day stretches, she would actually like stop needing fast acting altogether. And she was still on Lantus at this point. So, you know, like we couldn't take that away easily. So there was still some feeding of insulin, but like there was like for a week, you know, she would go, she would have a few days where she would need insulin and then she would completely not need insulin at all for like three days. And then her insulin needs would come back, but they would come back higher because like her pancreas would be like, Hey dude, I give up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, she'd kind of start tapering back down on her insulin needs again. And then it would go back up. But during all of this, like her pancreas is kicking in we're getting ready for her Omnipod start. And it's like, they were already hesitant to give her an Omnipod because her insulin needs were so low. And, you know, there are minimums for pods and their practice by standard won't do diluted insulin in a pump because that's not like a best practices type thing. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I was starting to freak out and like, we're starting a pump next week and she doesn't need insulin this week. Like, is she going to be able to start her pod? Mm. And her endo was really comforting. She was like, no, 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 no. Like this is probably like the inflammation in her body going away. And it's like lowering her insulin needs. And then her honeymoon's coming back a little, but her insulin needs will go back up uh, as she starts to digest her food better. And her endo was like 100% right about that because her insulin needs started to go up considerably. And so we started the pump and she was on like 0.05 alternating for her basal. So barely anything. And like pretty rapidly, like you could tell like her food started digesting better again. 
And like, she got so much more stable, like we could give her insulin and she wouldn't crash later. Hmm. So it was like this whole magical thing, but it was just kind of nuts to figure out. How long did it take for the inflammation to die down and for you to find some stability? Um, So the crashing part where the inflammation died down was a couple weeks. And then it was only about like maybe three weeks after that that her insulin needs started to come back up and staying up mm-hmm. where like you could see that like she was starting to heal. It's very interesting. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, earlier, we, did you misspeak or did you mean to say stummy? Because Arden calls, What did I say? You said stummy instead of tummy. You started to say stomach, then you said... T- <laughs> but Arden, Arden says that though. She says her and her girlfriends, they say my stummy hurts. No, I totally meant to say tummy, oh, but okay. I started saying stomach. And, yeah. You can you can use it if you want. The girls love it here. So <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I'm just talking too fast. No, that's okay. Stummy, I you made me feel at home. I was like, oh, I hear that, <laughs> I hear that all the time. I, I'm glad I could make you comfortable. It's very nice. Well, that's incredible. Uh, so yeah, um, are you all like gluten free in the house now, or just her? So we're mostly gluten free, like we de-glutened our kitchen. Like we cleaned everything top to bottom. Like, you know, silverware drawers are like big crumb catchers apparently. So like we did all that kind of stuff and got rid of everything, like clean the kitchen, like head to toe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like de-glutened, but I do keep some gluten-y stuff on hand for like my lunches and stuff that like won't get crumbs everywhere. You know, like I have some like tomato soups that are microwavable and some like microwave thingies Mm -hmm. and you know stuff that we wouldn't give to her by mistake but for the most part our house is gluten-free and our meals around her are gluten-free any benefit for you or your husband um (laughs) so for me it's kind of backwards because i've i've had like a really weird journey with food like with having the um uh gestational diabetes diagnosis like feeling like I can't eat after that because oh you're gonna get type two Mm -hmm. so I was just kind of recovering from that type of approach um and then she gets a celiac thing and I basically feel like I can't eat around her so when I'm not around her I have way too many snacks because I feel like later I can't like Mm -hmm. what am I gonna eat you know Oh, I'm going to have an apple later. Yay. <laughs> would you would you consider so, what's happening to you an eating disorder or just? Uh, I think I'm just kind of struggling a little bit. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Um, it really messed with my head when I had gestational and the, um, the educator told me that I had an 80% chance of developing type two within 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, so then like, and I was also breastfeeding at the time, like right after that. So here I was trying to eat super, super healthy and I was breastfeeding. So, and dairy free because Cora can't have dairy. So it was like this whole thing, like I couldn't get enough carbs in my body. So I would just like, I was just like shedding the pounds like crazy. And I wasn't a huge person to begin with. uh, And I had to lose weight to get pregnant. Um, because I had um, PCOS. So it's like, I had already lost weight to get pregnant. And then, you know, I had the baby and the baby weight came off easily. And then I was breastfeeding and it was a whole big thing. So me trying to ward off type two 
was like borderline eating disorder. But I was eating and I was eating really healthy, but for the amount that my body needed, it just wasn't enough. Julie, you know, there's a, um, uh, the doctors think that PCOS might be autoimmune. Oh, really? Yeah. That's fascinating and upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I didn't want to be the one to tell you. You're like, this is definitely my husband's grandmother's fault. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. um, Yeah. Can you talk about that for a second? I know that's a, a left turn for you, but when did you realize you had PCOS and how do you manage it? So I, my husband and I were trying to have a baby right after we got married and my periods were starting to get really irregular. And I was really, I had struggled with my weight for a while. Like I wasn't big, but I could not lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like exercise and eating reasonably did nothing. Like I would lose like maybe a pound a month, which is just kind of a frustrating thing and makes it really hard to keep up with the diet. Um. So that was kind of tough. And so, you know, I'd go on these spurts where I'd lose weight and I'd gain weight. And then what I ended up doing to be able to get pregnant and like regularize my period is I did the keto diet for about a year. And, you know, I had a couple of miscarriages when we were trying, which is, a you know, a risk with PCOS too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the keto diet got me to a point where my periods were regular enough that I could get pregnant and stay pregnant. And then I had Cora and it seemed like the pregnancy first off, like negated the effects of going off of the keto diet somehow miraculously, because if you go off of a keto diet and start eating carbs again, like you just pack on the pounds. Well, the pregnancy kept me from doing that somehow. And then it was just kind of a whole reset button. And like my PCOS seemed to like pretty much go away after I had Cora. Okay. And I think part of that is, you know, breastfeeding is a huge workout for the body too. Hmm. That's so interesting. I, you can't get, I have trouble getting straight answers about PCOS out of people, like in general, you know what I mean? Even when you talk to doctors like, well, we'll see, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting what they don't know. And, you know, my doctors never gave me a huge straight answer out of it. Uh, they, I had switched during that whole trying to get pregnant thing. I started a new, um, OB. And she said, yeah, if you have irregular periods, you probably do have PCOS. And that's like the most I ever got out of it. Like they never ultrasounded me to see, you know, like, okay, (laughs) how many cysts does she have on her ovaries or anything like that? They just said, yeah, you probably do. And that was it. Like there was no real support for that. Um, They did have me try Clomid a few times Mm -hmm. um, to try and get pregnant and kind of force an ovulation. Sorry about that. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. You said they asked you to use Clomid to, and then I to, lost you. Oh, yeah. So the Clomid is to like force an ovulation mm-hmm. because if you're not getting a period, you're not ovulating. That's why you can't get pregnant with PCOS okay. half the time. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. I, I just know that it's frustrating to hear doctors go, oh, you know, that's probably that. Okay. See ya. Wait, what? Right. You know, there's, there's no more? You don't have other thoughts or ideas or no? Just like, oh, uh, that's tough luck. See you later, kid. Um, yeah, and that's pretty lot. much how it, how it was. And the other thing that really bugs me is when I had that miscarriage from the Clomid pregnancy, I had asked my old OB about um, my progesterone levels because I had read 
that, you know, sometimes you can't maintain a pregnancy because your progesterone doesn't, you don't produce enough progesterone, which, you know, with PCOS and hormone imbalances. And she said, oh, progesterone only helps you get pregnant. It doesn't matter after you get pregnant. Guess what my no OB did right after I got pregnant? Mm -hmm. She tests my progesterone to make sure that it's high enough to maintain a pregnancy. (laughs) Nothing like getting completely conflicting um, information from places you just don't think should be confused about what they're saying. Um, No, not at all. It just, I mean, I already kind of knew I was right to leave my old OB, but yeah, Mm -hmm. that uh, definitely firmed that up for me. I hope that's comforting to people who think like, oh, my endo doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, um, I, I mean, at this point, I mean, at this point, it's hard to get, I've, I've spoken to people and I've learned that it's hard to get good care for your thyroid condition. It's hard to get good care for your, uh, hormonal problems. It's, it's hard to get good care for your diet. It's, I think it's just hard to get good care. Yes. You know, I I think people need to stop thinking that doctors are specifically not good at one certain thing. And maybe it's time to realize that we're only a hundred or so years into modern medicine to begin with. And we don't really know a lot about a lot still. You know, you know, know, the interesting thing I've found around here is so within a 25 minute drive, I have like four different health systems I could go to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not like a metropolitan area by any means. So, you know, we have a lot of healthcare options, like the one that's closest to me. It's really hit or miss on doctors. If I go to the one where I send Cora, much better chances that you're going to get a good doctor. And then for Cora's like specialty stuff, we send her to the nearest big city because there's like a guaranteed chance at that children's hospital. She's going to get a good doctor. Interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of like this whole little like range of, okay, where do you go for what you need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a game you almost have to play. And how do you know how to play that game even? And how much wasted time is there when you see doctors who aren't helpful at all? And then just say things to you at the end, like, hey, you might have PCOS. See you later. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's a huge benefit, you know, having a type one kid in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Because if I was like 19, 20 having a kid and then all of a sudden she has type one, I wouldn't know what the heck to do. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like I at least have a little bit of life experience to, like, gauge those situations. Yes, you don't just take the first thing someone says to you and go, well, that must be true. And now we're done. And, you know, and then then when it doesn't work, go, uh, oh, diabetes. It's just confusing. Right. You know, it's just it's one of the things that had bothered me constantly through this whole thing and probably led in some way to the podcast is the idea of, like, I don't, I don't understand why when people get information, it seems conflicting. They just nod their head and go along with it. Like it just never made any sense to me. So um, it's the whole questioning doctors thing. That's another big thing that took a long time for me to get my head around is the whole, you know, insulin isn't a, you know, something like take as prescribed, you know, that whole, you know making your own adjustments thing. Like you don't have to call your doctor and get permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Count carbs, give insulin. If that works good. If it doesn't, that's just diabetes. Well, well, we'll try again at the next meal. Like, great. That's, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to put any effort into this whatsoever to figure this out. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Really. Uh, Julia, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to? 
Uh, I guess the only thing is like the end of her honeymoon. So after she got the celiac diagnosis, it seemed like, you know, it was kind of starting to come to an end. Mm -hmm. But then she also, when she started the pods, which, you know, is going to be a little bit of an adjustment, but she also started to get chronic ear infections. So we had like two months where she would have like back-to-back ear infections and the stuff, the antibiotics wouldn't take them away. And she's also got the pile on of her body is now digesting her food and all of that. And, you know, we're also trying to figure out a new system, which was pretty minimal adjustment in the scheme of things. But that's what really seemed to mostly kill her pancreas is like all of a sudden she needs so much more insulin for these infections and the food and everything else. That honestly, I mean, we're a year and a half in and someday she goes down to that 0.05 basal rate. And I don't know if it's still her pancreas like producing a little bit or what, Hmm. you know, but it's just like we're not having a really clear cut time with the honeymoon on everything. But she got ear tubes now and that was like the best thing we could have done because now she doesn't have like an infection every other week. Mm -hmm. Um. Her ears are draining better now and not getting clogged up and all that stuff. Okay. Did they give you any ideas? There's something about the formation of her ear canals or did they talk about it at all? Um, not really. They said she probably has big adenoids, but they try to do the ear toy ear tubes first before they, you know, do the more invasive taking out the adenoids. Hmm. So they think that's probably why, because she apparently has big tonsils too. Hmm. Okay. And that can usually mean big adenoids. Interesting. And that causes so, kind of a blockage and your ears don't drain correctly and you get infections. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, you know, since you had mentioned the autoimmune thing with um, gestational diabetes, I also wanted to mention like on a somewhat unrelated note, but an interesting tidbit. So when you have a baby with gestational diabetes, they track its blood sugar for a few hours after birth. And Apparently, normal range for an infant is 50 to 92. So I was looking on Cora's charts to, you know, check a couple of her numbers because I really wasn't sure where she had started out with some of those numbers. Mm -hmm. And I thought the blood tests I was seeing were from diagnosis, but apparently they were from birth. And like her first one after she was born was 43. And they were checking every couple hours. And the lowest one she had was 24. Hmm. And then once they finally got her up over 51, like they just stopped checking. No kidding. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre though? 24 for a newborn. Hmm. What did they give you any reasoning behind it? Did you ever ask? So what they said is, you know, with the gestational that, you know, sometimes kids have a little hypoglycemia, but they also said, you know, more skin to skin, that kind of stuff. Well, I had a 36 hour labor and then birthed her at 8 PM. Like, you know, I wasn't holding her too much doing skin to skin. Like I was going to go to sleep. Um, So that was part of it. But really what helped was they uh, put her in the little baby tanning bed, you know, under the UV light. And that's what really kind of ended up bringing her sugar up. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Just some time too. I don't know. It's it's she's a uh, an interesting and intricate story, especially in such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, definitely kept me on my toes. 
And by the way, so with all of this madness going on, her last A1C is 6.9 and her two-week GMI is 6.4. Good for you. So like you guys, you, you've really helped a oh. lot with the whole figuring this stuff out. And even though it seems like I should be afraid to give her insulin because of everything that had went on, you know, we were really able to maintain somewhat decent numbers throughout that. No, I, I mean, I think just your your focus on limiting the very high highs and understanding that at the moment, it doesn't seem like you can stop these drops from occurring, but you can stop them from being dangerous. I think that's, right. that's what's keeping you in the sixes. It sounds like. That. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, now she needs a lot more insulin. So it's a it's a little bit of a different game than it was, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, she was around seven for most of her honeymoon. Wow. You're a good mom, so. Julia. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I keep thinking while we're talking. Like this is a, this is a lot and you're, you seem like you're doing really well with it. So I'm going to ask, are you doing well or are you okay? Uh, I'm pretty okay. I'm a little bit of an anxious person anyway, like not, not to a horrible extent, but you know, if you try for so long to have a baby and you have struggles having a baby, the whole idea of keeping your baby alive after you have that baby is pretty, uh, is a pretty strong feeling. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've always kind of had that. So hypervigilance when it comes to Cora came before the type one. Okay. Um, so it's one of those, like, I'll never you know, turn that side off and just relax to a degree. But I I think in general, I'm doing okay. Like I go in spurts where it gets to be a little bit too much, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) I mean, I I have a toddler with type one, like it's, it's going to be too much sometimes. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Is is her name Cora or is it Coraline? Cora. Cora. It's really pretty. Um, Thank you. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I, Appreciate you sharing this with me. Did it help talking about it? Like, did you feel good about the fact that you came on and did this? I, I always wonder why people want to come on. Like, uh, like for clarity, I'm gonna I'll pull up my calendar. Okay, today is Thursday, and if I count forward, let's just do two weeks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm making. I'm recording ten times in the next fourteen days. So, so, um, I, there are times where if I just get out of this month, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just packed. Like I'll do at least 15 recordings a month. And then I keep my Fridays and Mondays open to do editing and they end up getting filled with like, you know, interviews that pop up at the last minute. Like I did, um, sure. Like, you know, Dexcom, excuse me, hold on a second. I apologize. Uh, you know, or Jenny will be like, hey, I can work on Friday and we'll come in and do it, stuff like that. So I record 15 to 20 times a month. And I'm always like just grateful that people want to tell their stories, but I never understand completely why they do. Well, for me, so whenever I would ask a honeymoon question or I would see other people ask honeymoon questions online, people would just be like, oh, yeah, that honeymoon, that's a real you know? (laughs) Uh, And so I uh, just, it was always kind of frustrated. Like there's not a lot of helpful information. It's just like, oh, well, maybe you should just run your kid high so they don't fall. And I don't know. I just wanted to share her story because it's such a unique one that, you know, maybe it could help someone because let's face it, she got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I well, I'm glad. I'm I'm thrilled that you did. Like, I I really am. I just I always wonder like why do what makes people want to. I know, and I don't ask very much, but um, sure. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting for you to ask. Um, I thank you very much. I I, I can't thank you enough for doing this, really. Well, I, I'm glad because it sounds like you think it's a good show. So I'm I'm glad about that. <laughs> oh, Julia, they're all good. I'm incredibly good at this. <laughs> I, I know you are, but you know, there's always that little bit of uh, insecurity. Like, ooh, is mine going to be just boring? <laughs> no. You, you remember at the at the beginning before we were recording, you said I wasn't sure if I should come on like really prepared with what to say or not. But do you see that? Had you if if you would have just stuck to a list, we don't even get to your PCOS. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And yeah, that is one like people don't talk about because I mean, there's a lot of ugly side effects to that too. Like facial hair, for instance, mm-hmm. like I still have to go get lasered. Yeah. Even after having had laser done before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and yeah, people don't want to share that stuff because it's, I guess it's, they think of it as embarrassing. I, I, I'm assuming, but the the point is, is that everyone else listening, they need to hear you say, I have PCOS. They need to hear you say, um, you know, they need to hear me say Arden's trying not to eat gluten for a month to see what happens. Like, because it's the only way you figure this stuff out because this, it doesn't yeah. come up in doctor's offices. Most of the things that we've tried for Arden throughout the years for, you know, any number of things or thyroid or diabetes or any other problems, um, are from us. Like it's us going into a doctor's office and saying, what do you think about us trying this? And they go, yeah, it's mm-hmm. worth it. But yeah. if you don't mention it going in, you don't come out with that. They don't They don't say, oh, you know what you should do? You should try this. They yeah. just, I, I don't know what's, it's not doctors. Julia, I'm not, I'm not saying it's doctors. There's something about the way it works. It's not, it's not completely right. Do you know what I yeah. mean by that? Like there's something about the way we see physicians and the time we spend together or the lack of time that they spend together. There's something not right about it. You shouldn't know more about a thing that you can't understand than the person who has a chance of understanding it. And yet that happens over and over and over again. So I think these conversations are the best way to plant seeds in people's heads. And hopefully they'll run into a doctor's office one day and go, you know what? I need a scope to see if I have celiac or I need you to do a test to see if I have PCOS or, you know, whatever. Because people shouldn't say things to each other like, huh? Well, that's crazy. See ya. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And honestly, that's so much of the approach with honeymoon too. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, that's crazy. Get through it. No suggestions. Thanks. (laughs) You know, Julia, I think if you and Cora can stay alive long enough, this will end. Well, thank you. Wonderful. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No more to it than that. You don't have any, uh, any suggestions whatsoever. Even just hearing you talk about the way the digestion changed after going off of gluten. I, I imagine it just that sentence will help somebody. So I, you know, I love these conversations being conversational and not being, um, bullet pointed because you don't know, even though it's your story, you, if you knew all the parts about it that were important for me to hear, you would have figured out things already that you haven't figured out yet. And mm-hmm. so you get, you just, I think they just need to be spoken about out loud so that you can yes. really hear it. I think it'll help you having said it out loud. I, I hope so. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it will. So, all right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Scott. Have a good day. Well, 
a huge thanks to Julie. A huge thanks to Julie, of course, for coming on and sharing that great story and having this chat with me. I also want to thank Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, and remind you to go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to see if you're eligible for that free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. And if you're interested in the Omnipod 5 or the Omnipod Dash, you want Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you click on my links or type them into a browser, you're supporting the production of the Juicebox Podcast and keeping the show free and plentiful. Listen, everybody, I usually just say at the end something like, <clears throat> what do I usually say? Go, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon. I do that whole thing. But every once in a while, I don't want to just like blurt out a sentence. I want to tell you about how amazing it is that you listen to the podcast and tell you why. I'm going to give you a couple of numbers here. It's going to kind of freak you out a little bit. I'm going to find these numbers for you. I should have found them before I started talking. I know, but I didn't. So anyway, this year, the podcast will have something like 5 million downloads. It's a pretty accurate number. Um, it's astounding to me. I'm not going to lie to you. I think the first year the podcast had 25,000 downloads. 25,000, like in the whole year. And now 5 million. And next year, if trends continue, I mean, it could be twice that. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because it's up to you, right? And it's because of you. Podcasts don't become popular because they're good or because they're valuable, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, I think that's why people share them, but it doesn't just magically happen. They grow and find other people solely based on word of mouth, and, and that's why I'm taking a moment here to thank you. It's uh, a lot of downloads for a year, especially for a podcast that's in such a specific niche like this one is. So thank you very much for listening, for sharing and for supporting the sponsors. I genuinely enjoy making this show. I love that it helps people, and I can't believe that it helps my family pay my bills. When I look back on my life, I just never thought I'd have a job like this, and the truth is, I wouldn't if it wasn't for you. So thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Small child, diluted insulin, honeymooning, mom has PCOS, kid also has celiac.